Our scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we are grateful for your word. And my prayer this morning is that nothing I say or do or how I deliver the message this morning would obscure the beauty, would obscure the clarity of your vision for your church. Father, we pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts to drive these truths deep into them and to do what only you can do, to convict, to encourage, and to renew. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So have any of you had the experience before of working for a boss who just never really made clear their expectations? You didn't quite know what they wanted. Maybe they gave you projects, but they didn't give you a budget, or they didn't give you a clear purpose for what you were supposed to do. Or maybe... Have you ever had a professor who you you got the syllabus on that first day and you looked at it and it just didn't make sense? You you knew you had a big writing project, but you didn't know what it was about or you didn't have any guidelines. That can be really frustrating. Maybe it was a coach. I remember my son Jake had a a baseball coach, a hitting coach, who he'd worked with for a couple years. Uh, And great relationship, but all of a sudden, this guy started using terminology that Jake had never heard before. And coaching Jake and hitting, he'd say, okay, now get into the slag position. And Jake, at the time, was 12 years old and looked at me like, what? Now, maybe you're thinking, I don't know baseball. I don't know what the slag position is. No, it's not just you. It's not a baseball term. It's a mining term. And we have no idea to this day what he meant. But he kept saying it. Over and over again, getting the slag, and I'm over on the sidelines looking up slag, what in the world? And Jake was getting frustrated because he didn't know what this guy meant, and he didn't ask. He probably should have asked, what, what do you mean? It can be frustrating when you don't know what is expected of you. Well, 
the Apostle Paul isn't like that at all. He makes it perfectly clear what he wants of the church, his vision for the church. And it's beautiful. Not only does it make crystal clear his vision for the church, but he gives us a whole map. He says, that's where I want you to be. That's my vision. That's my goal for you. And here's where you start. Here's your starting point. Here's your path. And here's your example. The goal, Paul's vision for the church is unity. The starting point is the gospel. The path is humility and the example, of course, is Jesus Christ. Paul makes it abundantly clear that his, his goal for the church is unity. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and of one mind. He, he makes us initially this really strong personal appeal. Make my joy complete. Paul had been among them, labored among them. Many of them owed their faith to his work in sowing gospel seed. He had been in prison there. And so he's saying, as your friend, as your pastor, as your father in faith, do this for me, please. Make my joy complete and be united. But this isn't just Paul's desire for his church. This is quite clearly Christ's desire for the church. Jesus, in the last, one of the last prayers he offered before going to the cross, his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, says to his father, Father, make them one, as you and I are one. Unity was, well, in a way, Jesus' dying wish for the church, that they would be one, that we would be one. Now, I don't think Jesus and I don't think Paul were naive. They knew that in the church there would be personality differences. There'd be some frictions every once in a while. There'd be people who, using an old example, who, who thought wrestling was the greatest sport in the world and others thought, no, it's marathon running. There's some today who think baseball is the greatest sport, and there's others who are wrong. Uh, so, you know, there, there's conflict. In Paul's Philippi, there was probably some who were in different guilds. Maybe some were in the, the metal workers guild, and they were, you know, there's tensions between that guild and the bankers guild. In Paul's Philippi, there was probably some who were pro-Rome. And thought the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was the best thing that had ever happened. And others thought Rome was oppressive and heavy-handed. Paul, and certainly not Jesus, they weren't naive to these things. But they hoped, and they prayed, and they commanded that we overcome those kinds of disagreements and be like-minded. Not that we think exactly the same on every single thing, but like rowers who get into their shells. 
they set aside whatever differences they might have, whatever personality conflicts they might have, and they row together to the same rhythm, to the same beat, heading towards the same goal, the finish line. Paul says, be like that. Be like-minded. Have the same movement of your will. Have one intent and one disposition. Be like-minded. And have the same love. Let that love unite you. Let me ask you to do a little bit of imagining here for a moment. Uh, Imagine you're carrying a platter. Okay? Maybe you're doing a a stress test. You're going to be a a waiter or a waitress. And they say, okay, here, carry this platter. And on this platter are hundreds of ball bearings. Now carry it. Okay, now we're going to make it really hard. You're not just going to walk through the restaurant. Here's an obstacle course. Run with it. Go through this minefield of things exploding. Jump over this ditch. Jump over this hurdle. Don't spill any ball bearings. Impossible, right? Sometimes, that can be what shepherding people can feel like, right? Don't tip it too far this way. Don't lose balance this way. And pastors and elders and deacons and small group leaders who shepherd their groups have to hold that balance. And sometimes it feels impossible, but here, add this variable. Right in the middle of that platter, with all those ball bearings, drop a giant Well, not too giant, but powerful magnet that holds it all together. That magnet is Christ. And Paul says, let your love for Christ, that same love that you all share, bind you together. Keep you united as you navigate minefields of personalities and cultural clashes and all sorts of disagreements. Be united, have the same mind and the same love, and let that bind you together. That is Paul's vision, Jesus' vision for the church, and it's beautiful. The starting point is the gospel. Actually, I'd, I'd rather say the starting point is the spiritual realities created by the gospel. This passage actually ties back to what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 27. In chapter 1, 27, Paul says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Wow. He, he goes on to say in that next verse, Stand fast. Don't let outside pressures defeat you. But this passage about unity ties to that. Don't let outside pressures and don't let internal divisions defeat you. Live a life worthy of the gospel. The gospel that tore down all walls, that tore down all causes of division. In Paul's day, the main cause of separation was Jew and Gentile, that rift 
But in Christ, that wall has been torn down. And out of two separate men, God is creating one man, Jew and Gentile. And it wasn't just that wall. It was the wall that separated slave and free, rich and poor, male and female. All of those torn down by the gospel. That's our starting point. And Paul elaborates. He said, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any communion or any common sharing of the Spirit, then be like-minded. Be one. In Christ, you have been united, not only to him, but to one another. Let that encourage you to unity. Let the common experience we have of Christ's love bind you together in unity. The kind of love that overlooked your sin. The kind of love that overlooked your offenses and your offensiveness. That's how Christ loved you. Now you love others that way. And let that love bind you together and share in the common fellowship of the Spirit. So go back to that platter filled with ball bearings and the magnet in the middle that's Christ and our love draws us and holds us together. But even more importantly, Christ's love for us and the shared fellowship of the Spirit that emanates from that magnet, that's what draws us. That's what holds us together into one body, united for the glory of God. Our starting point is the gospel. Our goal is unity. And our path is humility. And it's hard. I kind of wish I could go back and scratch that word hard out and put impossible. Because the kind of humility that we're called to is absolutely impossible for those who haven't died to self in Christ and been raised to newness of life. Here's what Paul says. He says, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Again, I think that kind of humility is impossible unless we daily die to self, unless we heed Jesus' call to daily take up our cross and follow him. That's the only way the only path to this kind of unity. In essence, what Paul is calling us to is to love. He's using the word humility, but it's almost synonymous with how he describes love elsewhere. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says to husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loved in this humble, selfless way where he didn't consider his own interests above the interests of the church. He didn't consider his own interests as God above the interests of the church. But he humbly loved and served the church. The path to this kind of unity that God calls us to, that is beautiful, is humility 
and it's hard, and it requires us to die to self. In our example, our guide is Christ. So Paul says, have this mind in you, or among you, that was also in Christ Jesus. He's the one that's going to show you what this looks like. He's giving you a a lived demonstration of this kind of humility. The the passage, verses 5 through 11, are often referred to as the Christ hymn. They were probably words that were sung among the church in celebration of Christ's exalted nature and his humility. Pastor, theologian, author James Montgomery Boyce describes these verses as the great parabola. Go back to math. Remember what a parabola looks like. The passage begins that Christ hymn describing describing Christ's pre-incarnate glory who being in very nature, the NIV says, in very nature God. Other versions say, who being in the form of God. It doesn't mean that he was only appearing to be God, but wasn't quite God. That's not what Paul is implying at all. Being in the form of God meant that his external appearance, his external form matched his internal essence. He appeared, he looked, he had the form of God because In essence, he was God, but he didn't consider that something to be grasped onto too tightly. He let go of the divine prerogatives of deity for a time and humbled himself. He let go of the rights that go along with being God for a time and humbled himself. And became born, it says, as a man. He didn't appear as a full-grown, completely independent man. He was born as an infant. We're approaching, entering into the, the low point of his humility. He starts at the top, God. But he empties himself and becomes born as a man. The song we sang earlier, And Can It Be, I think it's the second, maybe it's the third verse, says he emptied himself of all but love. Theologically, probably an exaggeration, but we give Wesley some poetic license because he describes it beautifully. He, He lets go of the glory. He lets go of the right to be served by hosts of angels, and he's born as a man, to serve. He becomes obedient to death. And you think, okay, we've reached the low point, but no, it's not just death, it's death on a cross. From the highest of heights to the lowest of lows, he did that to serve. And in that, he's our model. And we know the psalm doesn't start there, stop there. He's then exalted. 
to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He's then exalted and receives the name that every, that every knee and will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. William Penn penned a book, which I think sums this up so well. No cross, no crown. He descends to the nadir of human suffering and is raised to the pinnacle of exaltation. That's our pattern. That's our model. We follow Christ in humility. Let me add one more thing. Our opportunity, our opportunity is tremendous. Here I'm talking about the the global church. We live in a time that is fractured, polarized, and people are fatigued at seeing the partisanship the racial divides, the social divides. Looking for something better. Will they see it in the church? You ever been in a situation where maybe you were the new kid in school and you walked in and everyone was kind of cold to you, disinterested, maybe even downright mean, except one person. They smiled at you. They welcomed you. Or maybe you moved into a new neighborhood and no one introduced themselves except one family and their kindness stands out. In our world, if we can display the kind of humility and the kind of genuine unity that Paul envisions, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to say there's something better that can unite us. That's true of the the global church. Let me say something about ECC. Because I think our opportunity is even more tremendous. So growing up, I, I bounced between, not bounced, for a while I lived in Jacksonville, Florida. And my dad was the pastor of Salisbury Baptist Church. That church building was built maybe 1920s, 1930s, and it had what I I wouldn't call stained glass windows, but they were tinted windows. Windows with a a red or orangish hue to them. And they were really pretty. Uh, The light that came into the sanctuary was pretty. But it was very uniform. I've been in churches that are pretty, the light that they shine is uniform. And that's incredible. The, the church that my dad served in New York, Endicott, Union Baptist Church, built in 1872. It had magnificent stained glass windows. They weren't all one color, red, orange, They had red glass, blue glass, green glass, yellow glass, probably some purple and pinks in there too. All brought together in a unity 
that was stunning. I remember once my brother and I broke one of those windows. Not shattered broke, but broke. And yeah, I I mean, I was terrified. Dad's going to kill us. But there was something more heartbreaking about breaking that beautiful thing. This place can be that beautiful thing because we are not all the same. Different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different opinions on what's going on in our culture. We're just all over the map theologically, and yet we stand united in our love for Christ. That draws us together, that holds us together. And this beautiful thing that the world needs to see. That unity isn't all about being the same, homogeneous. True unity can exist in diversity. And it's all the more beautiful because of it. We can show the world that if we walk humbly if we allow the Spirit to work in us and draw us together, if we allow our love for Christ to trump all other loves, to trump all other loyalties, to be the thing that consumes us. I, I, I think that's one of the things the world really needs to see now. And I know It's something Christ wants of his world, wants of his church. Would you pray with me? Father, your your vision for the church, your son's vision for the church is at once inspiring and also humbling. We know that we are too big in our own eyes, too important in our own minds And we need your spirit to humble us, to teach us to follow the path of Jesus and consider others' interests as more important than our own, to consider the love that we have for Christ, the most powerful force that could bind us together. Father, we pray that your spirit would do that work in us. We know we cannot do it ourselves. We pray that the world would see the body of Christ in all its glory, in all its beauty, and in all its unity in us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.